reading can be found in the Church Bibles on page 1189. It's Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? Verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We pray for Peter. Father, we pray for Peter that you will anoint his words and that we will hear your heart as he speaks. And Lord, make us willing listeners of your word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ursula. Well, can I say it's wonderful to stand before you this morning as your newly inducted, installed, and and instituted vicar. Uh, I don't know about you, but that makes me sound like some sort of uh, newly installed uh, cooker. Uh, We have got one of those that's just been put in the kitchen in the vicarage. But seriously, the the service on Tuesday night, if you were here, and thank you for coming, uh, uh, was a really amazing, inspiring service, wasn't it? And uh, I know a lot of people gave their time to making that service happen, so a huge thank you to you all for that. Uh, But even more than that, I felt that God poured out his spirit on us uh, on that night as we sang songs of praise and worship. And as uh, we heard the Archdeacon speak, and I think it was a really good sermon that he, he gave us, and as the bishop led, led the service. 
may I say, uh, and also in response to what we, uh, Steve was saying and others were saying, uh, as a family, we are delighted to be with you and amongst you uh, and living uh, here now in, in Basin Hill. Uh, Debbie uh, will come to this service from time to time. It's birthday weekend in our household. It's Naomi's 17th birthday today, and it's Debbie's birthday tomorrow. So if I'm looking slightly, you know, oh, I've got everything, uh, it's probably that, that's probably the reason. But um, Debbie, uh, if you ask her, she'll tell you that I do not like moving. Uh, I, don't, probably, I don't think many people do like moving, do they? But uh, I don't like moving. Uh, even though we've only moved from uh, just locally from Rabbit Green, uh, I don't like moving, but it was made so much easier by uh, the way in which so many of you uh, have, have taken uh, the time to, to love us and care for us and pray for us as we've moved into the vicarage. So thank you. Uh, and as I say, we are privileged to be part of the church family here at Christ Church. And we're now all in the next stage of a journey. Uh, we're on the next stage of a journey, and uh, Steve has said, well, it may be for decades. Uh, I, I kind of feel sorry for you at the very thought of that, if you, <laughs> you having me as your vicar for decades. But who knows? Who knows? God uh, has a plan, doesn't he, for the next stage of our journey as a church here at Christchurch. And I am hoping to be here for a good few years, and I'm sure the wardens will be very, very pleased to hear that, because it's not easy to get a new vicar. Uh, the process is, is complicated and, and can be uh, difficult, and, and it is a long process, but uh, we're here, and we're on a journey together. And indeed, the parish profile, your parish profile that was produced for the vacancy for the interregnum, uh, was a helpful document for, for those who, like me, were looking at this parish as a possible place to come, and wanting to know about this church, wanting to know about what you do as a parish, as a church, in your ministry and your outreach. And the strapline uh, is, uh, for this parish, it says uh, to be loving God and living his adventure. Loving God and living his adventure. I like that. I do. I like that. I think it's a really good summary of what a church is about. That's what we're called to be and to do as a local church family, isn't it? We're, to call, we're called to love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. And we're also called to go on an adventure of faith with him as we love each other and as we love the community that he has placed us in. And part of that journey is to get to know each other. The advantage that you've got is that you've only got four names to learn. <laughs> Peter, Debbie, Naomi and Miriam. Whereas we've got... I don't know, 100, 150, I don't know exactly how many people are in this, in this church congregation or congregations. Uh, but then you throw in the local primary school who've got, I think, about 300 children, then probably about 30 or 40 staff, so that's another 350 names. So don't be surprised if I have to ask your name more than once, uh, because I will do. But we need to begin to get to know each other. We need to get to know each other to be, on a to be on an adventure of faith under God and we've got to begin to trust each other. And then we can really go places with our Saviour Jesus. And one of the things you'll, you'll soon learn about me is that I love to teach and preach the Bible. The Archdeacon said something about that on Tuesday night in his talk, I think. Uh, but it's one of the things I wrote on my application form. Those of uh, uh, this uh, church who were reading it would have read this I wrote on my form. 
I have a deep and growing passion for God and his glory. I love God's word and explaining the Bible in a variety of contexts and in ways that make it understandable, relevant, and challenging to people's lives. In my preaching, I aim to be faithful to the text, clear my communication of its meaning to the people, and open to the Spirit's leading and guiding as the Bible's teaching is explained and explored in community. Quite something to live up to, isn't it? <laughs> so I do, I do love to teach and preach God's word. And the passage before us today is from Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. I listened to Ursula's sermon uh, that's recorded. The sermons are recorded really helpfully. And I listened to it from the church website in the week uh, in preparation for this morning. And I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Ursula. (laughs) Ursula was preaching on chapter one of this letter. And in chapter one, Paul is reminding and encouraging the young church at Thessalonica that even though they are and will continue to go through trials and uh, difficult times, persecutions of all sorts, it's that same perseverance that is uh, helping them to become worthy of the calling that they have as children of God. And Ursula talked of their, and indeed your, our, growing faith and love and perseverance and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this week our attention turns to chapter 2 of this short but powerful letter and I want to concentrate on verses 13 to 17 particularly of our chapter. I'll read them again because they are such hope-filled words, words we can meditate on and take to our hearts, our mind and our soul. Verse 13 says, but we ought always to thank God for you brothers and sisters loved by the Lord Because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Our theme this week is God chose you. We see that in verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you. And those words alone ought to just stop us in our tracks and make us pause and marvel at the grace and the love of God. God has chosen me. God has chosen you. How encouraging is that? God has chosen you. I wonder if you believe that. I wonder if you believe that deep down in your soul. God has chosen you. We hear those words quite often in Christian circles, don't we? But these words of Paul are written at a time uh, and to a people who are in difficult times and places. This is a young church in Thessalonica. It's probably only about 10 years old at the most, maybe not even that old at all. But they're going through a very difficult time. And we can forget that when we read these words in the comfort of a nice, warm and welcoming uh, building like this. But they are going through a difficult time. They are, in fact, in extreme danger. Just think of the, uh, the context they're living in. 
They are in the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire at that time was not welcoming to Christians, to put it mildly. Because the Christians were saying that Jesus is their king, not the Roman emperor. And so that's one group of people who are against them. And then, of course, you've got the Jews who are also against them because the Christians are saying that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so the church is hard-pressed on all sides. Everybody around them is saying that they are wrong. And they want to be got rid of. And yet here Paul is saying to them that they are chosen. They are chosen. And that, sh- that truth that God chose you is itself based on three other big truths, which I just want to talk about briefly. The first of them is that God loves us unconditionally. God loves us unconditionally. Paul says that in verse 13. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. If there's one overarching truth in the Bible, is that it's the overarching truth that God exists. God is. But right on the, on the heels of that truth, there's another truth, and that's the fact that God created us, and he's chosen to love us. What if you've ever uh, Googled something on the internet? It's an amazing facility to be able to do this. Uh, and you can just put your phrase in and, and see what it says. I wonder if you've ever Googled the phrase, the love of God. And when you Google a phrase, it come up, comes up with links. And apparently, or if, well, I've tried it. If you come with, put the love of God in, in Google, it has 1.2 billion links. Much of the love that we experience from other people is conditional. And conditional love is based upon your or my performance. In other words, you have to earn it. So a person may say, and, and probably by the way they, they, they might just say it, or they might by, by their actions, uh, they might say, well, I will love you if. Or they, might, they may say, I will love you if you will love me. Or I will love you if you will obey me. Or I will love you if you make me feel in a certain way. But God's love is different. It's unconditional. He doesn't love me because I'm particularly lovable or especially lovable. He loves me because he is loving. He doesn't love us for who we are. He loves us for who he is. So why does God love you? Why does God love me? simple really isn't it but God is love that's the reason God is love and so God loves you because God loves you he is love he knows more about you than anybody else does he knows more about you than you do and he knows every mistake you've ever made and he knows every every mistake I've ever made he knows every mistake you will make and yet he still loves us with an unconditional love in the lead up to uh, Tuesday night and my licensing, I, in fact, the night before it, I must admit, I went through a bit of a crisis of confidence. And I, if you've ever done this, I had a, an argument with God. I kind of, and I said to God, I, I'm, I'm not worthy to be vicar of Christchurch, Basin Hill. I just do not feel worthy. 
I'm no better than anybody else. I'm a sinner. I get things wrong. I'm nowhere near perfect, and Debbie will tell you that if you ask her. Um, I don't feel up to the job, God. But God, in his grace and mercy, spoke to me and said to me, Peter, I love you, and that's all that matters. I've chosen you to be the vicar of this church. And yes, you'll mess up and you'll make mistakes as their pastor and their minister, but the bottom line is this, I love you. God said through the prophet Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've continued to extend faithful love to you. All the other world religions teach that we have to earn God's love. To, to be a, a follower of another religion, you have to earn God's love. You've got to prove yourself worthy of his love. But Christianity teaches something unique. Christianity teaches that God loves us simply because he loves everyone. He loves the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's nothing I can do to make God love me more. There's nothing I can do to make God love me less. And if you know the Bible, and I'm sure you do much better than I do, the Bible is full of examples of God's love. In Luke 15, Jesus says that God is like a shepherd. The shepherd who has 100 sheep, and he has, well, 99 sheep at that point, and one of them has wandered off and gone his own way. And he leaves the 99 and he searches out the one sheep that has been lost. Have you ever felt like a lost sheep? God loves you so much that if you were the only one on this planet, he would still come and seek you out. He tells a story, Jesus tells a story of a father who has a disobedient and rebellious child. He tells the story of this son who breaks his father's heart by uh, asking his dad for the money from his will before his, he has, his, his dad has died. And then the son takes the money and goes off in reckless living and spends it on wine and women and song. And but when that broken down, good-for-nothing son heads home, God is like a father whose hands are held out welcoming his child home. Do you ever feel like that son? God loves you. Hold on to that truth. God, his love is unconditional. Don't let that truth go. Secondly, the truth that we see in this passage is that God chose me before I believed. Paul is talking, as I said, to bruised and battered believers. They're going through a difficult, difficult time. And he says in the second half of verse 13, From the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. There's a great truth in the Bible we sometimes miss. It's long before we choose we chose Jesus, or long before we chose to become a Christian, it's that God chose us first. I don't know if you uh, remember when you were younger, I remember when I was uh, a young boy, and we used to line up for football teams at school or out of school, and uh, you know, you, you get your captains and you, you, know, you two people who are the best at the, the sport. Let's say it's football, just for sake of argument. So you have your two best footballers who are the team captains, and then you get told to line up by your teacher or by whoever it is. And I distinctly remember lining up time after time in this row of boys who were sort of looking at these two captains. And I was always thinking, ooh, I'm never going to be chosen first. Never, never, never. And in fact, I hardly ever was because I was one of the smallest and 
not one of the greatest footballers. And I was normally chosen towards the end as a defender, you know, that kind of, you, know, you can put him at the back of the field because he's not great. But the stunning truth of this passage is that God chose you first. He chose you first. He chose you before you were born. He chose you before Jesus even came to die for us. Ephesians 1 tells us that stunning truth. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That's Ephesians 1 verses 4 and 5. God chose you, but we also have to say whether we want to be in his team, if you like. And so there's the issue of our will. He's chosen us, but we've still got to say yes to that. And so when we are saved, there's three things going on. There's three factors going on in that. There's the word of God, there's the work of the Spirit, and then there's the will of the person. We're not robots, are we? We're not a, a pre-programmed robot that God can say, you will do this, you will do that. We are people of free will. He chose us in love, but we've got to choose to be in his team, if you like. We've got to choose to be on his side. We've got to say, yes, I want to line up with you, God. So just picture yourself again as a youngster. There you are, you're lined up in that row of, of children waiting to be picked on for the team. Everybody is about 11 or 12. Except this one lad who is a lot bigger and a lot stronger than everybody else. And so straight away he's one of the captains. A coin is flipped to see who will choose first. This big lad gets the first choice. It's safe to say, I think that that team is going to win. The one he's the captain of, is that, that, will, that will win that team. And for his first choice, he looks around at the, at the people in front of him and he chooses you. He chooses you. He says, I want you to be on my team. What are you going to say? You're going to say, no thanks. No, you're not going to say that. If you're smart, you're going to say, yes, I would love to be on your team. I want to be on your team. Thank you for choosing me. And who wouldn't want to be on God's team? Because when you go on his team, you'll know you're on the winning side. Thirdly and lastly, God gives me the strength to stand firm. He says to these Christians in Thessalonica in verse 17, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father encourage your hearts and strengthen you. He writes to the Ephesians, Paul writes to the Ephesians this, Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And then in that chapter, if you know Ephesians chapter 6, he then goes on to talk about the armour of God and putting on the armour of God. And when you put on the armour of God, the point is that you're dressed for battle and you're being told to stand. And Paul says in Ephesians 6, three times he says to stand. He says, stand, having done all that to stand, and then stand firm. What if you've heard the expression, don't just stand there, do something. But in the Christian life, what we could do is we could actually switch that around and turn it on its head and we can say, don't just do something, stand there. Because a Christian life doesn't start with action, it starts with conviction and belief. It, stands with, it starts with standing on truth. And that truth leads on to action. 
But first, we must stand on what we believe. Martin Luther, one of my heroes uh, of the faith, when he was charged with heresy or at the start of his uh, uh, stand against the Catholic Church at the Reformation, he says, he said very famously, here I stand, I can do no other. Someone said, if you don't stand for anything, you will fall for anything. And we've got solid truths to stand on, don't we? Culture keeps redefining truth. Culture keeps saying, this is, this is what you need to be involved in. This is what you need to have your time spent on and so on. This is where morality becomes so changed because society and culture is changing. And yet we can stand firm on the truth of the Bible. One of the great hymns of the past says, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking stand. Interestingly, that was a, a, a hymn that was penned in the 1800s uh, by a man called Edward Mote. And the modern song, Cornerstone, which we, we sang on Tuesday night, um, is actually based on that hymn. So we can stand on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and his words. And yet even more amazingly that, than that is that God gives us the strength to stand. Because God is our source of strength. When we were young, when I was young, I used to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. But we never outgrow the truth that we need his strength. We are weak, but he is strong. Not long ago, I was watching a nature program on TV, and it featured a little deer-like creature called an ibex. And the ibex is a, a, a little sort of deer, a small deer, and it can climb up the tallest, steepest mountains. And it can stand on the narrowest ledge. And other, uh, other creatures like mountain goats are the same as, as the ibex. They can scale the heights. They can go up these really difficult, highest mountains. And they're still safe. What is the secret to walking safely? What's their secret to being safe on those mountains? What they do is they look to see where their front feet are going, and then instinctively their back feet are then going where their front feet have just been. And that's what God wants us to do as his children. But we don't have four legs. I've only got two. We don't have four legs. We've got two. So how is God going to make our feet as safe as that little deer? He wants us to follow in his steps. And so when we follow Jesus, the places he steps are safe for us to step. So remember those three essential big truths. God loves us unconditionally. Secondly, God chose me before I believed. And thirdly, God gives me the strength to stand firm. Brothers and sisters, we are at the start of a new journey together as a family of God here at Christ Church, Baston Hill. We don't know exactly where our adventure is going to take us. We don't know where that adventure with God and each other will take us these next few years. But we do know that God wants us to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And as we fix our eyes on him, he will take us step by step where he wants us to go for him and with him. Shall we pray?
Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that you chose us before we chose you. Thank you that you love us with an unconditional love, a love that doesn't depend on us but is just there for us because you are love. And thank you, Lord, that you help us to stand firm despite the trials and the tribulations that come our way. But as we fix our eyes on Jesus, you will lead us in the right way to go. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus, our Saviour and our friend. Amen.